Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So work with me for a moment and let's think back in time to that big, monstrous, huge, audacious, scary moment when you were a kid or a young adult and you realized I'm not a kid or young adult anymore. I'm now adulting. Adulting. That's the term, right? You see t-shirts that say, don't bother me, I'm adulting right now. Like there's this big, huge, scary moment which we all go through. Now, if you are still in high school, uh, it's coming very, very soon. But if you're a young adult right now or in college, you're like, I know exactly what you're talking about. And here is the big marker of what really starts this process of what it looks like to adult. You have to make a big, huge, audacious decision on your own, and there's nobody there to save you. It's just you. You've got to make this huge, monstrous decision on your own. There's nobody to save you. And I remember my big, first, huge, scary moment. Uh, for me, I went to uh, school, to a university in Chicago. I said, I want to be on my own. I'm 18. I'm a man. I know how the world works. I'm good. And so I went to Chicago, Illinois. And I went to a university there, and I remember getting in line. They had these huge lines. And we would get in line in the gymnasium. You had to go through and like set up all of your different things. You'd fill out all this paperwork. You'd get your room keys. You get all of the classes you were going to take. And so we kind of got herded like cattle around this big circle of all these tables. And here I am, like I'm just a spry, excited uh, Jason, so excited for the world that's happening. Um, I was at school, and I'm in line. I'm by myself. I'm a man. And I'm going through, and I'm signing my name on all these papers. And I'm getting keys, and I'm going through the line. And I come to this one lady at the end, and I have one more paper. She hands it to me. And so I take the paper, and I begin to sign. She's like, no, no, no that's your bill. And I said, no, I'm so sorry. You don't understand. There's a huge mistake here. Um, I have an athletic scholarship. I had all these different grants. I'm completely covered. She says, no, you don't understand. You owe us thousands of dollars. Now, my story is that when I went to school, I went with nothing. I, I didn't have anything. I had like a paper route and made like, I don't know, 50 bucks, right? I didn't have any money. And so I was really relying on this, all these scholarships and grants to take care of me. And so when I got this bill for $2,000 or more, that was way more than that actually, $1,000, I sat there in this sinking feeling of what am I going to do? It went from I'm a man to I'm completely alone. I need thousands of dollars. And I said, and so tears start welling up in my eyes and I tell the lady, I said, well, I can't afford that. She said, oh honey, that's okay. You have a couple of weeks to figure it out. I walk away, and I'm like, I'm, this is it, I'm done. There's, I can't afford school. And I've never felt more alone in that moment in my life. I'm in this big city. I'm not by my family. There's no money to be had. I'm on my own. And I felt completely and utterly crushed, scared, and afraid. If you can relate to that topic, or maybe you moved out when you were a young adult, or young adults right now, they're like, Jason, let me tell you some stories of what it's like growing up in 2022, right? Like, if wherever we are in our journey, there's a moment where you take that, 
that transition from you've got the safety of your home, you've got people helping you to not. But maybe you had to figure that out early. Maybe you didn't have a safe home. Maybe you grew up in a situation where you had to become an adult really early in life. You had to figure out things for yourself at the age of 12 because your mom and dad weren't there. Or one dad is off somewhere and you're just you and your mom. Or you're living with your grandma. Or some huge tragedy happened in your life and you're like, Jason, listen to my story. You don't understand. That's cute that you had a good, safe environment growing up. I did not have that. And so my story, I had to learn to be on my own much, much earlier. No matter where our story is, we start to learn something at a young age. We go to school, we start in kindergarten, and we start to learn. And one of the things that we're learning is how to take care of ourselves. We learn that we have to wash our bodies or things go bad. We learn that we need to learn about the world around us and how the world works or we can't interact. And from the time that we start learning and growing, we're learning to become independent. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to grow to be independent. Um, here's a word to all you 30-some-year-olds still living in your mom's basement playing video games. Move out. Okay, that said. <laughs> we learn to be independent. And this independence is a very, very good thing. We want to become independent. We do not want to always have to rely on others for our entire life. But something happens especially if you've been through something that's been quasi-traumatic, if you grew up with not a lot of resources, if you went into a situation like I did where you didn't have much, and you know, eating out was going to Walmart and getting the 10 for 10 ramen packs and making them all and eating it for a dollar, you just ate as much as you could, and the sodium and, and the preservatives, I'm going to be mummified my whole life because of my college life, right? You do what you can to survive. And if you've been through something quasi-traumatic, or even if you haven't, you start to learn something that's actually a huge negative. Because independence in and of itself is a really good thing, but when we start to transfer this thought, we start to move that I am self-sufficient. I don't need anybody. And so what happens then is we grow older in life, and now I'm going to speak to a little bit older people in here, we start to really pile into our 401ks our 403Bs, we start to get our pensions, we start to look at what everybody in here dreams of someday is snowboarding. I would love to have a home in Florida for the winters and I'd come back for the summers. And some of you are snowboards, like, cool message, I'm leaving in two weeks. So I hear you, because that's my dream too, right? And so what we want to do is we want to set ourselves up for absolute, complete self-sufficiency. We get what we want. We're comfortable. We love our lives. Everything is good, and I'm in control. And then things start to go out of control. Then the stock market crashes. And then all of a sudden, those investments aren't working well. And then all of a sudden, you buy a property in Florida that's completely trashed because of a hurricane. And then all these things in our life and these traumas start to come, and we start to realize another piece. We're not really in control. And that is terrifying. And so for all of you younger people in here today, I'm going to speak to someone who's middle-aged, and I will speak for those who are before me. It is just as terrifying and scary older in life as it is in younger in life about feeling like you're secure. Isn't that right, people? We want to feel secure. We want to know that we've got everything taken care of so that we are self-sufficient. 
Here's a word that starts moving into self-sufficiency, and this is where it starts to turn dark. Individualistic. Individualistic means now I am about me, and we live in a very individualistic culture that everything that we do is focused on the I, and what's happening within our culture is we're not looking at the tribe. So I'm looking at what's best for me, what's best for my family, best for the people I love, but I'm not looking at my tribe. I'm not looking at the people that are in my community. I'm closing my eyes to what's happening outside of these walls because I'm individualistic. I'm focused just on me. And individualism is another form of self-sufficiency, which leads down a huge rabbit trail, which really puts you in a place that says, I am in control. I control my future. I control my finances. I control my home. And this, the more, let's say, fluffy we get in life, the more padding that we have, the bigger homes, things are taken care of, your cars are paid off, you've got that beautiful uh, uh, bank account that's full, you feel like you don't need much because you've taken care of yourself. And for some of us, I've done the hard work, therefore I've earned it. I've done the hard work, like I got a job when I, I've been working since I've been like 12 years old, so I hear you people when you say this. Like, I've worked hard my whole life, I, I put my money away, I saved it, I didn't spend it. Like, I earned all of this, therefore it is my money, my resources, my home. Moves to a really dark place in our mind. Because where does God fit into that story then? Where does this idea that God who is the provider of all things, interjects with you, who is the earner of all things. How do those two interject? Because if you truthfully have earned everything and your way of thinking is that I am self-sufficient, I don't need anybody, but God's way of thinking is that you're my child and you need me for everything, we're at a bit of a crossroads. And that's what we're going to be exploring today in our scriptures. Uh, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 to 30. It's a large passage. It's going to be on the screen behind me, but if you do have your Bibles, Bible apps, uh, we've turned the lights on for you to be able to bring your Bibles and read. We have heard you like, hey, we can't read it. Cool. So we're going to turn some lights on for you for those who have your Bibles. Bible apps, they glow. You're good. So let me give you some background before we get into this. We're going to be talking about the nation of Israel. Uh, the nation of Israel was formerly captive in Egypt. Uh, they were uh, former captives there, and God has sent a messenger and a leader to come and save them from their slavery. And this person's name is Moses, if you've heard of that name before. And so if you've heard of the plagues that God sent on them, parting of the Red Sea, this is the group of people. And now we're going to fast forward about two and a half months after they've been released from Egypt. They come to this place in which they are in need, and they are in need big time because God has led them to a desert, and there's nothing to eat. And so this is where we pick up this story and uh, listen to it from the, from the mindset or from the ears of this culture, but also our culture and the way that we process individualism and self-sufficiency. Uh, Exodus 16, verses 1 to 30. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they have come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Hey, you ever want to be a leader? Just read the Bible. It's not that great. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day, gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they're to prepare what they will bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it is the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight they will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost were on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to, to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person that you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it till morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and then when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy day to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it till morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay here. Stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. So here we are, two and a half months out from them coming out of Egypt. And the first thing they say is, Why didn't God just kill us when we were in Egypt? Because at least our bellies were full and we ate lots of meat. What a great way of thinking. Let's put it into our perspective. Here God let us out. God freed us as slaves. We're out in the desert, and he brought us out here to die. He obviously doesn't care about us. He doesn't like us anymore. He's forgotten about us. Whatever mindset is going through their minds at that moment, they've realized this thing. They've come to a place where they can't take care of themselves. At least in Egypt, people took care of us. Did you catch that? At least in Egypt, people fed us. At least my master fed me. We had pots of meat, and we would sit there, and we would eat well. Now, think about this community of Israel, because 
we have to put it in perspective, like not everybody in this group is really sold into this whole story yet. Because we know that some of those people who were there were slaves that were of very low ranking. They're going to be very, very low on the totem pole. They had horrible lives. It wasn't good. It was torturous. But they also had slaves that are going to be up in ranks that served high officials who lived in palaces. They had it made. And then you've got people there who believed in Yahweh and some of them who weren't quite sure of Yahweh. They just did what he was, they were told to do because when you put the blood of the lamb over your doorpost, you would be freed from the angel of death that was coming and that's how they were eventually freed from Egypt. So they didn't necessarily believe it, but they did it. And so now they're out here in this desert and they're like, let me just throw a couple of questions out there right now for, for everyone to talk about. Like, so they're like sitting in this and they're grumbling. Oh, ugh. like, hey, remember when we used to eat all that meat? Wasn't it so awesome? Like, yeah, I got whipped every day. Like, I understand that, but we ate lots of meat. Like, yeah, it was really good. <laughs> so they're processing this. And this God who says they love them brought them into a place in which they feel that they're all going to die. There's no way forward for us now. To backtrack, they have seen so many miracles happen already. Not only the plagues and the freeing of them, they get up to the Red Sea. There's this huge sea. The enemy's behind them. God splits the sea. They walk across in dry land. So imagine that. You're walking through, and you have two big walls of water on each side, and you're like, bro, I really hope this holds up. Is this sound? Like, do you touch it? Like, tap on it, right? You walk through this thing. They get across, and their enemies are wiped out. God does this miracle. They've seen miracle after miracle happen. They've watched God move. And they're like, oh, we're to the desert. Now we're going to starve to death. God's not going to take care of us. You can't be mad at them because we do the exact same thing. I mean, I literally read this. I'm like, this sounds like the story of my life. God has provided so many miracles in my life and has done so many wonderful things and has parted so many Red Seas in my life and the fact that Mosaic Church still exists is a miracle in and of itself. We planted five months before a pandemic, everybody. So this is a miracle in and of itself. And I'm like, oh, God, you're not going to provide for us anymore. And I sit there and I whine and complain just like them. So I don't, I'm not mad at them. I'm like, dude, I'm in the crowd with them. Because whenever I come up against something that I feel that there's a tension point, my first response, and maybe you are, you're way more spiritual than me, so if you are... Um, apply mosaicwi.com so I, I see i get to this point and i sit here and my tension point is i naturally go to panic because i need to control now my backstory as i've shared with you is i have a big huge story of my life where i felt like i've always out of control i never had enough money i never had enough resources we're always scraping by when my wife and i were first married i remember i mean we were just dirt poor and we were forced vegetarians, meaning we couldn't afford meat. So we would make carrot stir fries. Like literally, what do we have in the fridge? Carrots and like we've got maybe some soy sauce and some, uh, and some rice and some celery. I'm like, cool, let's, let's eat that. Like that was how my marriage started. And it was that tension point of I never want to be there again. So if you grew up with any sort of hard upbringing or that tension, guess what our response is? Because all the Gen X is doing this. We're going to give our kids everything that they didn't have and then more. So much that they never even have to ask for anything. So much that when we ask our kids, what do you want for Christmas? They're like, I don't know, I've got everything. That is the new world. 
Because I said, there's this intrinsic, like, I want to make sure they never have to feel the way that I feel. And so right now, my son is in college at University of Whitewater, and he's his freshman there. It's his first year. And literally, um, Kayla, if you're watching this, just don't listen for a second. Um, I'm doing this. I'm making sure he doesn't have the experience I had. The terror of what it felt like to sit there thinking I'm going to get kicked out every semester. I felt like that for four years. But every semester, God provided. And so in my mind, I'm like, okay, I need to do everything I can to make sure he doesn't have an experience, negative experience. Like, do you need everything? Do you need more clothes? Do you need more food? What can daddy give you? Protect, protect, protect. But honestly, the true story is when I was in that moment, I now look back and say, look at the story God had for me as I walked to a desert and said, God, I'm about to get kicked out. What should I do? And God provided. And I'm going to be honest, sometimes I get to that desert and it's not what I want. Right? The answer is not what I want. Do you think Israel said, hey, this is great. Let's go every day and scrape the desert floor of this flake-like substance. You get sand in it. How do you separate that? Different story. Let's flake the land of this flake-like substance and make an omer, which is approximately three pounds. So they had to scrape three pounds per person in their tent, and they would make bread. You had to do this every single day. And then after that, at night, they'd have all these quail come into the camp. So all the hunters are like, yes, because they're really hard to get sometimes. So all these quail come in the camp, and so now they take these quail, and they've got to cook and prepare them every single night. There is no refrigerator. There is no leftovers. There is no microwave. Every day, every night, on and on and on. And then you start to think, well, at least in Egypt, people made food for us, and we had a big pot of stew and meat. Remember when, remember when we didn't have to do all this work? It was so much easier. Like, yeah, we were slaves, but it was so much easier. And you start to get this mindset and start going and grinding and thinking through this process of saying, you know, I don't really like this process, God. I don't think God is in the business of making you like his process. Because I would not wish my experience in my younger life on anyone. However, it shaped me to become who I am today. And in those moments, you're put with this tension point. And you guys have all of your moments in your life. There's this tension point that you and I have that says, either I trust God is going to do something or I'm going to collapse and implode on myself out of fear that everything's going to fall apart. And when things don't go the way that I want and I come up to that desert place, do I now say, God, I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust you and I actually go to prayer instead of panic. Prayer over panic. Stick that in your head for two seconds. Do you go to prayer or do you go to panic? Your pastor goes to panic. And then I sit there and then I reluctantly pray and then I realize there's nothing I can do about it and then I pray fervently. What if I just started there? So I go to grumble. I go to, oh God, what are you going to do? I can't believe this is happening. All these people, I'm just like Israel. And this tension point that is now sitting there as Moses is trying to lead this group of people, and God says this, I hear your grumbling. Every parent in here has heard their child grumbling. It's like nails on a chalkboard. I don't like this. Why can't we get more chicken nuggets? I want McDonald's. I want this. I want that. So one time we, I led a youth mission trip uh, to Mexico, and we were on a youth mission trip. Uh, we were in a rough part of town, and uh, you know, we, we were living in tents, and then we would cook out at night. We had 
this group, it was amazing food. I mean, they provided for us, and then we would go and build homes. Um, so it was super hot. Like, this was, you know, hot uh, in the weather, and we're there like in July. So side note, don't do mission trips July with a bunch of youth in Mexico because, oh, the grumbling. <laughs> oh, it's so hot. Oh, I can't do this. And there's one, uh, one of my students, uh, I, I just could not believe this kid. He just said to me, I want a cheeseburger. I said, bruh, we are in Mexico. We don't have cheeseburgers. He said, I want a cheeseburger. I said, we don't have cheeseburger. I want a cheeseburger from McDonald's. Like, I could be like, oh, here. There you go. Like, poof, there's a cheeseburger? And I, he's like, I'm not going to eat. I just, I just need a cheeseburger. I'm like, dude, what are you not understanding? And he just starts grumbling and complaining and grumbling and complaining. And then this grumbling and complaining, of course, starts to spread. And the kids are like, dude, we want cheeseburgers. When, can't you, like, drive to, like, San Diego and get his cheeseburgers? I'm like, no, in and outs delicious. No, I'm not driving to San Diego to get you a cheeseburger. And the mindset then starts to infiltrate the entire group of people of, we don't want what we have here, even though this is sufficient and great food. We want what we want. Can you relate to that a little bit? It doesn't matter if you're 12 years old or you're 79 years old. We all tend to have that thing in us that says, I'm self-sufficient. I want what I want when I want it, and someone's got to give it to me now. But that's not the way of our God and our master. And in this story in which God hears them and they're grumbling, this good father doesn't say, you know what? Now it's time to smite. For those of you who are not in the church world, that was like an old term that church would use, smiting. Like, God would like smite, 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 smite. Like he'd just like snuff you out. Like God would smite you. So this is, our God doesn't say, you know what, I'm tired of you people. You're, you're done. He says, I hear you and I will take care of you. I hear you and I will provide for you. And he says he does this to test them to believe that God is the provider. That, so God now gives them a methodology in which they didn't appreciate, which I understand. There's a lot of rules and details to it, and, and, but they set this up for a reason. They set this up so that he's testing them to say, do you believe I will provide for you every day? When was the last time that you had to rely on tomorrow to survive? When's the last time that you are waiting tomorrow a provision will be given for just that day and you hope that on Tuesday you will eat, that you will have a home, that you'll be provided for. What, have you ever been, I mean, think about this for a second. When's the last time that you don't have the security blanket that you have right now in whatever form that that is? That right now, uh, I'm assuming that there's a place to live. I'm assuming there's going to be food that you can get to. I'm assuming that you have safety. I mean, you have to wait for tomorrow morning to wake up to see if God is going to say, I'm going to let you eat today. That is terrifying, isn't it? I'm going to allow you to eat. You know why that's so terrifying? It's because you're totally not in control. You have no narrative that you can manipulate. In fact, you are fully needing God to provide. So you go from sufficient to you are completely insufficient. You go from I'm in control to I'm completely out of control. And this is the craziest thing with all of your blankets and all of your security and all of your food and everything that you have. He said you can have it. 
And if he wants to take it from you, he will. Like that. You have it because God has said yes. Don't let ourselves be fooled to think that the manna that's on your table is not because God has said yes. And when you come down, and depending on your faith background and, and maybe your own story, when you sit down to eat a meal and you sit down and you give thanks for that meal, that meal in which you're giving thanks for is not a religious act of like somehow God is now happy with you. That moment is a recognition is that the food on your place because he has said you can have it. Whether it's enchiladas, burritos, salad, chicken, it doesn't matter. He has said yes. He can say no. And the question is, has our mindset gotten so far away from understanding God's provision because we are, for the most part, safe, comfortable Christian Americans that we've gotten so far from the fact that we are fully dependent on God that we forget that manna is provided every day because God says yes. It's terrifying to think that tomorrow you don't have food, you don't have a home, you don't have a job, you don't have a 401k. Look at what one little pandemic did to rock our system. It's terrifying to think that one EMP attack from any other country outside of us could shut down our entire infrastructure, take out everything that we have, we lose all of our bank accounts, all of your finances, all of everything, and now you just are trying to survive. It's terrifying to think that way. There's no reason to be terrified because God provides. If we truthfully believe that God provides, it does not matter who is in office, it does not matter what is happening in our world, we put our faith and trust in our Yahweh and we believe more in him and then the social structures around us. That's what we believe in. Because now I understand there's things happening in my world, in my life I don't like, but I trust him. And if God says no, I trust that it is good. This is next level, let's grow up and stop being baby Christians conversations, isn't it? It's time that we grow up and stop thinking that we've got it all together, friends, because we don't. And actually, it is so satisfying to say, God, I just need you to take care of me. But we don't want to go back to being that little kid asking dad for money, do we? I don't want to go back to that place. I don't want to go back to that place where I got to beg my mom to make me cheeseburgers. I don't want to go back to that place where I got to beg my dad for five bucks for gas. Well, no, 20 bucks for gas. I don't want to beg... <laughs> 20 bucks for gas to be able to go to my friends. I don't want to be at that place of needing others to take care of me because we've worked so hard to become sufficient. The truth is, friends, you're still there, but it's with our Lord God. And he is good. It's scary, but he is good. I love this verse, Psalm 24, 1 through 2. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Every single thing we have is the Lord God Almighty. You do not have one possession which is not his. There's not one thing you have that he has not said, okay, you can have it. Nothing. It is all his. The world is his. One of the things I appreciate about this season um, is I love hunting. I'm a, not good. I just like doing it. Um, I see lots of deer, but somehow I never come home with them. Um, I love it. And, and really, this is the reason why I love it. I love this, this. One of my friends said it so well. He goes, this is why I love being an outdoorsman, because that is real. And I said, that is real. And I was sitting in my stand, staring at squirrels and not deer. And I, 
And I thought about this. I watched the sunrise, and what control do I have to make that sunrise or sunset? And if you've ever been in the woods before the sun comes up, it is absolutely terrifyingly silent. And then the woods, we say, come alive. You start to hear the scurrying and the birds chirping. You start to hear life start to happen, and nobody knows that I'm there except for the deer. And all of this life starts to emerge around me. There's no Twitter. There's no Instagram. There's no Netflix. There's, no, there's nothing. This is just real. And here I am sitting in this, and you want to talk about feeling small and not in control, is I sit there silently, and I watch life happen. And, and I watch when deer do come in, and I watch how they interact with each other and with nature. I'm like, I'm not in control of this. I'm just observing something so much bigger than myself. And I sit there and watch, and every time in nature, it leads me to the same place as I worship God. Because everything in the world is God's. And then I start to pray, dear God, everything in this world and this forest is yours. Can you please make a 12-point large buck come right through to my stand? Can you hold them real still because I'm not a good shot? God has said no. Everything is God's. Here's the thing that I just love about this passage is that God provides for his kids and they disobey him. Some people didn't believe. Some people grew up with nothing. So what do they do? They go out and they start scraping as much as they can. They took way more. Like, there's not going to be any food tomorrow. Take as much as you can. And there's a little chatter that's going through the group. And they're scraping in as much manna as they can. And there's quail. Choop, 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 choop. Take as many as we can. And they're, they're thinking, we have to store up for ourselves. Because what if God doesn't provide tomorrow? And they're scared. And it all rots. There's the disobedience of, whoa, God's not going to provide for us the next day, so we got to go out on the Sabbath, even though he created a day for us to rest. He didn't know this Sabbath day was made for you to rest and have a day with him. It's not some religious act. He created a very special thing for us, and he created that for them as well. Like, just chill for one day. It's hard work being a human. Take a day to be. And so they say, like, oh, no, no, we got to go get it. They go out there, and there's no manna. Like, see, I told you God wouldn't provide, and they start freaking out. Because they didn't listen to him and said on the day before, just take double and it won't rot. It's going to rot because it rotted before. They disobeyed. They didn't believe. Friends, our stories intertwined inside of this so unbelievably well that disobedience over and over again, but yet God still loves and he kept providing. Those who didn't believe still got manna the next day. Those who took too much, it rotted. Moses was mad. They still got to go and eat the next day. God kept providing. I love this idea that we're here. And it's easy to point our fingers at Israel, but I want you to listen to this quote from John Durham from his book, Exodus. He says this, The pattern is set, and it's increasingly and repeatedly demonstrated. Yahweh is present, powerfully, effectively, beneficially, and convincingly present. But the people of Israel, the recipients of so much of Yahweh's care, and the people of whom Yahweh even gives himself are unaccountably insensitive, see if it sounds like us, insensitive, indifferent, disobedient, and finally, overtly rebellious. Exodus is a history of theological relationship written with an incredible tension hovering, the tension of a loving, providing God, giving himself to a chosen people who always reject him. Listen to this. A loving, providing God, giving himself to a people in which we 
are continually rejecting him. Why in the world does he do this? Because that is how amazing our God is. That is love. That is grace. If you have a story of a dad who's mad at you, holding things from you, angry at you, that's not who this God is. His love and grace and mercy is shown over and over again through his beautiful word that when we are disobedient, he still loves and provides. Because it says this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus didn't come when we were good people. He came when we were super messed up to save really messed up, broken people. This is such a beautiful story, friends. So if you feel that you are scared and trying to hold on to things and have a hard time trusting God, know that this happened thousands and thousands of years before you, and it's still happening today. But our challenge today is this. That's not where we're supposed to be. This story isn't giving you a prescription to be like, it's okay to be this way. It's giving us a warning. Trust the master that he will provide. Are you ready when God sends you manna and he sends you quail? Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.